Are you an overcomer or are you being overcome? I'm telling you, these days are really requiring for us to rise above the stress. Anybody been under stress lately? Anybody been uh, worried lately? Anybody been fearful lately? Anybody uh, been mad lately? Well, I want to tell you the Lord's placed a message on my heart. I hope you came expecting today because God is going to speak to us through his word. Overcoming the great exchange. Overcoming the great exchange. And speaking of overcoming, listen to me, beloved. It's easy to be a critical Christian during this time. My, 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 so much is going on in our world in the politics, in the religious part. And it's all right to be discerning, but listen, I find myself, if I'm not careful, and I believe I'm speaking for a lot of people right now that have been critical. You've been a self-righteous Pharisee and critical toward it, and, 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 and it can happen so easy. And consequently, we lose our joy. We don't really walk with the Lord. So I want to ask you now, are you overcoming or are you being, like me sometimes, have a bad attitude? Anybody have a bad attitude lately? Come on, let's be honest. We're in the house of God today. I believe there's a lot of people today that have got a bad attitude. And therefore, we need the Lord to correct us today to be overcomers. Speaking of overcoming, I heard about a coach, baseball coach, that said, you know, I'd love to have a baseball player who never made an error, who never struck out, who would always get a hit and always make a good play in the outfield. The coach said, but the only problem is I can't get them to put their hot dog down up in the stands. The point is this. We've got a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks and a lot of people that say, well, I would have done this and that. But the Lord is saying this to you and me today. What are you doing now? Not what's happened, but what is God wanting you to do now? And I believe the Lord is going to bless us today with his power and presence. We're looking today at the subject, overcomers, the great exchange. And I'm glad to tell you there's some exchanges you and I can make today. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 2, please. In the book of Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at the seven churches and see what the Lord has to say in Revelation chapter 2. I hope you got your pen out and your paper and you're taking notes. And those by way of online, I'm going to encourage you to do the same because we're going to be covering a lot of ground. Seven great exchanges Overcomers, tell me, are you, I know you've been a Christian a long time, but you've never been through, and I've never been through what we've been going through. Is the Lord helping you to rise above it? Is God giving you great faith to move mountains? Is the Lord giving you a passion to reach out to those who aren't believers? God help us not just to sit soaking sour. Seven great exchanges, here they are. Don't worry about writing them right now. Let me give them to you. I'm going to summarize the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. First, we've got the church of Ephesus, a busy church, but a backslidden church. Secondly, we've got the church of Smyrna, a pure church, but a persecuted church. Third, we've got a church called Pergamos, a warm church, but a worldly church. Fourth, we've got a church called Thyatira, a fruitful church, but a feminine church. Fifth, we've got a church called Sardis. It's a dutiful church, but a dead church. Sixth, we've got a church called Philadelphia. It is a mission-minded church, a church that needs to not go out but go in. Seven, we've got a church called Laodicea. It's a luxurious church but a lukewarm church. Here's where we're going in the message today. And don't worry about writing them right now. I'll get them on the screen. Number one, we can exchange the great exchange 
our leaving for our cleaving. Number two, we'll see that about the church of Ephesus. Two, we're going to see not only that, but we can trade in, we can exchange a cross of death for a crown of life. Number three, don't worry about writing them right now. I'll bring them on the screen. I know you're writing frantically. Number three, the church of Pergamos. We're going to see this, to trade in a throne for a stone. A throne for a stone. Number five, I believe it is, or four rather, and that is the church of Thyatira. We're going to trade in, instead of being under, we can be over. I said instead of being under, we can be over. And then we'll see in the book of Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis. And that church is, we can trade in dead religion for a living Christianity. And then finally, a trade. This is the great exchange the Lord wants us to make today. And then number seven, Laodicea. Instead of being spit out, we can be, we can sit down. Revelation chapter 2. We began our study today in the book of Revelation. Seven great exchanges. I just mentioned them to you. Leaving and cleaving. And secondly, the cross of death for a crown of life. Third, the throne for a stone. Fourth, under instead of being over. I'll bring these back up, so don't worry. You'll get them, every one of them. Exchange dead religion for living Christianity. And this is the church of Sardis. And then come out to get in. You'll see it clearly in the church of Philadelphia. And finally, the uh, church of Laodicea. Number one, the church of Ephesus. Let me give you a little background on these seven churches as we launch in our study today. I hope you came prayed up. How many came prayed up today? How many came expecting a word from God today? If you came expecting nothing, you'll probably leave with nothing. But if you came saying, God, I need a word from you today. And I want you to tune in right now. And don't turn us off, by the way. Seven literal churches during John's day. And, of course, this wonderful book called Revelation. God the Father gives God the Son the revelation to God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives it to John. Hey, by the way, the last two Sundays we've been talking about Revelation. Last week we talked about Revelation 13. The week before, Revelation 19. And so today the Lord led me to this passage to continue in this study. Now, these seven churches, you can see them on the screen. Those in the back, I don't know if you can see them clearly or not. But geographically and historically and doctrinally and practically, we're going to look at these seven churches and see that God's got a message for us today. I had the privilege of being right here in what's called modern-day Turkey, this whole geographical land map right here. You'll note that John is on this little island called Patmos, 13 miles in diameter. Why? Great persecution has broken out at the time. Then please zero in on these seven literal churches. I might add, the archaeological remains are still there in many of these churches. First, we've got Ephesus. Notice, it's on the coast. A thriving city, to say the least. One of the most prominent religious centers, mind you, false religion, of all these seven churches. Then we've got the church of Smyrna. Yes, a persecuted church, and then... The church of Pergamon right here, known for their papyrus or their parchments or the writings. This church was located on a hill. It's kind of, we had to ride by way of a cable car. Then we've got the church of Thyatira. 
And this church evidently had some issues, I might add, as well. Jesus Christ made commendation to every one of these churches, and yet five out of seven he made correction. I've got somewhat against thee. And furthermore, the message is he that overcomes, he that overcomes. The next church we'll look at is Sardis right here. I had the privilege of standing right there in the archaeological remains of Sardis preaching a message. I might add, wow, a Muslim guide, my friend Nazem, I said, here, hold my phone while I preach, all right? And stood there in the remains. What a great experience that was. I'm praying the Lord spoke to his heart. I, by the way, he's a Muslim, and I said, Jesus Christ is alive. He's not a dead God. And then we come to the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Adelphos, brotherly love. Next and last, Laodicea. And so I want you to note here with me as we study this together, the seven churches of Revelation. There's some things we can exchange. Look with me, please, in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to go through this very rapidly. So if you don't get them, please listen to the tape. I want to thank God for our... Um, audio and video ministry behind the scenes is making this possible as well as those that are here. Many of our church members are not here today, but they can access the worship service. Isn't that a blessing? Oh, yes. I said, isn't that a blessing, church? Yes. Glory, glory, glory. And then we come to Revelation chapter number two. I'm going to skip through these really quick. Got your Bible, your pen? Really look quick. Chapter two and verse number seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Every church, Jesus has a word of him that overcometh. I would suggest to you today, the Lord wants you and me to be an overcomer. Not be overcome, but overcome. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. The church of Smyrna, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Skip down to verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Chapter 2 and verse number 26. Chapter 2, verse 26. You know when you come to church, you better buckle up because Brother Randy, Pastor Randy is ready to go. So that's why, and my clock is ticking right now. I've got a lot of amount of time and I've got so much on my heart. I, the Lord has me really seeking Him. And I know that God's going to use this message for His glory. It's not about me, it's about Him. But listen, beloved, I have to share this rather rapidly. So verse 26 of chapter 2, the church of Thyatira, He that overcometh, verse 26, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even I have received of my Father." And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Chapter 3, look at verse 5. He that overcometh to the church of Sardis, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now skip down, please, to verse number 12 of chapter 3. The church of Philadelphia. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. Finally, the church of Laodicea, look at verse number 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have also overcame 
and have sat down with my Father in His throne. God bless the reading of His Word to our heart today. Father, again, I ask You to cleanse me from the top of my head to my soul of my feet. Lord, I'm nothing but with You. I'm everything, and I pray I'll decrease, You'll increase, and you'll, Your Word will go forth and fall on good ground. Again, we pray You'll bind the enemy from trying to steal the seed from us, and God just uh, perform and fulfill everything this moment, this hour, that you wanted to do in husbands and wives and daddies and mamas and grandparents and Christians and preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and Christians and people all across our land. Help us to rise above. Help us to be busy about your business until you come again. The message is clear to me, Father. No time to go AWOL and, and sit and just uh, be at ease in Zion. Stir us up, we pray. And be glorified as souls are reached and the saints are edified and equipped to do your work until you come again. And we'll thank you because you're worthy in Jesus' name. And the church said, I said the church said. One more time. The church said? Good. Hey, let's go. Number one, exchange leaving for cleaving. Now, here we come to the book of uh, the uh, church, rather, of Ephesus. Let me give you a little historical background of the church of Ephesus. Number one, did you know that, again, I showed you on the geographical map, it was located on the coastline. Ephesus was the most prominent of all these seven churches. The apostle Paul arrived there, listen, 30 years after the church was established. Right here, uh, John is arriving, and John, no doubt, these were seven literal churches, this is 30 years after the church of Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. If you're taking notes, you might want to note Acts chapter 19 is a record, according to Luke, when the church was established. You also might think it uh, interesting, the fact that this church had a lot of demonic activity. Sounds like today, doesn't it? In fact, there were witchcraft and sorcery and idolatry and cultism all in the church. There was this one temple named the temple of diana i did some research yesterday and do you know who started the church of uh, diana it was a man by the name of alexander the great the greatest conquering general the world perhaps has ever known yet i don't know if he got right with god or not but anyway he established this massive building called the temple of diana worship of this female goddess i saw the replica of diana a multi-breasted uh, female fraternity god. And interesting to note, it was housed in, guess where, the Vatican in Rome as we toured Rome. At any rate, Diana was worshipped and therefore Paul came into a hornet's nest when he arrived in Ephesus. I'm giving you a little background historically of the church of Ephesus. And I've got to be brief on my comments. You, I've shared more about this in detail. You can go to our YouTube and see that. But simply to say this, that Paul the Apostle was there three years. Hear me, three years. He's taught in the school of Tyrannius, Tyrannius for two years. Some say he started about 10 o'clock in the morning, worked about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then he taught in the synagogue. But there was a problem. Why? Because in Acts 19, we find out this church called Ephesus that had a man that was a businessman who was a silversmith. His name was Demetrius. And it just so happens Paul was preaching and teaching about the living God of heaven, and it cut in his prophet, Demetrius. He was building these replicas, these shrines of Diana, making bukus of money. 
And all of a sudden, people started believing in the true, the living God, and it upset the apple cart. I'm telling you, that happens today with people who are more in love with money than they are God. There's nothing wrong with money, but when money becomes our God, it becomes an idol in our life. And consequently, Demetrius had plotted and planned. They tried to get Paul in this great big theater. I was there in the theater. It seats 24,500 people. It's a massive theater. But Paul's friends spared him, and he shook, shook the dust off his feet and sailed on to another location. That's the historical, geographical background of Ephesus, what John is writing here. Now, as we come to the text now, notice what the Lord said. He commends them for their works. This was a busy church. This was a church that was busy about the master's business. He said, I know your labor of love. I know that you even refute and you debunk false teachers. But the Lord made an indictment upon the church of Ephesus. He said, because you've left your first love. Can I tell you today, you and me can go through the motions. We can play the games. We can even be busy in the church doing things or trying to live the Christian life. But if we're not in love with Jesus, something's wrong. And the Lord said, you've left your first love. Remember when you fall and repent and do your first works. And then notice what he said, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Here's the message God gave me as I was studying this and praying this week. Make the exchange. Exchange leaving for cleaving. Leaving our first love. You remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? You remember when you would do, you would do anything for the Lord? Nothing you would say no. You would never say no to the Lord. You had such a zeal. You had such a passion. You had such a hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's happened? What's happened? Why have you gotten cooled off? Why aren't you still on fire for God? Why is it you've become so critical? Why is it that you're complaining like I do every once in a while instead of loving the Lord? We're to love the Lord with all our heart and soul and mind. Why? Because he loved us first. First John 4 and 19, John says we love him because he first loved us. First John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. No wonder God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. Yes, it's the love of God. God loved us. He loves you. Is there anything that you will not do for the Lord? I love John chapter 14, verse 21. Listen, here's the real test. It's not what you say, it's what you do, amen? You can talk the talk, and I can talk the talk, but the bottom line is the life you're living. How are you living on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? I'm telling you, we've only got a certain amount of time. Love the Lord. How do you treat people when you're at Walmart? This is a time when we're losing our patience, sitting in line, standing in line, waiting for this. Do you give them a piece of your mind? That's not what the Lord would have you to do or have me to do. Are we angry and fussing with our family? Are we critical toward every little thing? Are we, are we uh, again, getting a bad attitude? You've left your first love today. The Lord's saying to you and me, you need to come back to your first love. You need to fall in love with Jesus again. You're, you and I can take his blessing for granted. Leaving instead of cleaving. We can leave, but I suggest to you instead of leaving, we ought to cleave. We ought to cleave. Cleave to what? 
The Lord said to the church of Ephesus, I will give you to eat to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. Listen, the world is pulling us away from the Lord. Thank you for saying amen. The world is, is trying to get us distracted. Tell me, when you get up first thing in the morning, what do you do? Are you busy about get up? I got to do this, this, and this. Do you spend time with the Lord? Hello? Do you spend time with the Lord? Are you talking with the Lord throughout the day? I want to encourage you today. Some of us may, and I'm not throwing rocks at you. I'm just telling you, if you don't and I don't purpose in our heart to have a relationship with God, it won't happen. Remember, you can even see the animal world when they're in love or, or during mating season. They'll do anything. A big old buck will walk right out in the middle of the road during hunting season. Why? He's after that doe. I'm telling you what. He that hath my commandments, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be a loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And that's John chapter 14 verse 21. Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, do you agape me? Peter says, phileo. You know I phileo you. Friendship, love. Do you really love the Lord? I suggest some of us today need to really get back to our first love today because we really hadn't been in love with the Lord. I know it's a trying time. But look, he said, I'll give you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We're first introduced to the tree of life. When? In the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is introduced in the book of Genesis chapter and verse 22 Adam and Eve were placed there another tree was there called the tree of knowledge of both good and evil and yet some suggest as Genesis 3:22, Moses wrote and said they were going um, that uh, God decided to eject Adam and Eve out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever we're introduced to the tree of life once again here in the book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 there's another reference to the tree of life in Revelation chapter 22. Listen to the words of John. John said in Revelation 22 verse 1, He showed me a pure river of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, twelve manner of fruits for the healing of nations. The tree of life is introduced once again. Now question, why is the tree of life in the book of Revelation chapter 22? I can guess, I can tell you what my opinion is. There are different various opinions. The tree of life, no doubt, is a reference to live forever. Aren't you glad there'll be food in heaven? Praise the Lord. I know about that. Somebody said, uh, man, there'll be uh, watermelon, no seeds and so forth. Anyway, I know this, that there'll be evidently the tree of life. The leaves are for the healing of nations. Those of you that know, we study this. And the word nations is the word ethnos, which means Gentiles. Why healing for the Gentiles? You tell me. I know this, that God has got the tree of life. Why? Some suggest, and I kind of lean this way. Remember, in the tribulation, the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation. The tribulation of seven years will take place while we are at the judgment seat of Christ, giving account how we've lived and at the marriage of the Lamb, preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb, when Christ comes again in His second coming, Revelation 19, Zechariah 14. And then we, He will usher in His kingdom. His kingdom, there shall be no end. The kingdom of God is not now, by the way. His universal kingdom is now. His physical kingdom is not here yet. Jesus is not on His throne in Jerusalem. 
I suggest to you, until he comes in physical form, which he will, as he said he would, then and only then the kingdom of God will be here in a physical, uh, viable way. But wait a minute. Remember, there'll be people with physical bodies going through the tribulation. According to Matthew chapter 25, the judgment of the nations, Gentiles will go into the tribulation, uh, go into the millennial rather, with physical bodies. How are they going to live? 1,000 years in the millennial with a physical body. How are they going to live in eternity future? Ah, some suggest they will eat of the tree of life and thus live forever. Whether that be true or not, you be the deciding. We'll find out one day in the sweet by and by. Have you left your first love? Number two, there's a second message of exchange. Not only exchange, our leaving for our cleaving. Number two, we'll look quickly at the book of Revelation chapter two. And then notice the church of Smyrna. Trade or exchange a what? A cross of death for what? A crown of life. Look at chapter two and verse number 10. Fear none of those things which the thou shall uh, suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. I don't know if you can see this in the back back there, but I tried to make it as big as I could. And so uh, anyway, you hope you got your Bible. Hey, trade in a crown, a cross of death for a crown of life. How many know there's suffering here below? How many know there's hardship in this old world? How many know that there's affliction and setbacks and tribulation and problems and trials in this life? But listen, look up here. I've got news for you. It won't compare to what it'll be like when we get to glory. It won't compare. Trade in that cross of death. For what? A crown of life. James chapter 1 verse 12. James said this. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. When he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By the way, the word Smyrna, the church here, means myrrh. And myrrh was a substance used for embalming the dead. This was a persecuted church. Oh, yes, it was. Will you trade that cross of death? Do I want to tell you, listen to me in case you're wondering, what's pastor saying? Here's what I'm saying. You can't die on the cross like Jesus did and do the same thing. Although the disciples, all of them except for John, were martyred, died martyrdom. The blood runs knee deep, knee deep down through the ages. So God's telling us today, don't try to escape with the life of comfort, ease, and pleasure. And spare myself. No, he that loves his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses life for my sake shall find it. You find it out in many Christians today. Not hardly. I'm going to spare my life. I'm going to look out for number one. It's about me, myself, and I. Self-glory and self-dependent, self-sufficient. Oh, but Jesus said, trade in that cross of death. You know what the cross of death is? It's death to your way. It's death to what you want to do. It's death to where you want to go. It's death to your friends. It's death to your lifestyle. It's death to your music. It's life to God. There's a cross. And if you really want to follow Jesus, there is a death to that inner being which wants to follow the world. And God's saying you can trade it in today, though, and you can receive a crown of life. 
Think about it. When we get to heaven, you think it's going to be worth it? I promise you it's going to be worth it. Every sacrifice you ever make, every time you were persecuted, I promise you, you will be glad when you get to heaven. Our problem is, is we're so earthly minded, we can't live the Christian life because uh, of some of these uh, cultural things around us. Number three, will you trade in not only leaving for cleaving a cross of death for a crown of life? There's some of you right now that are battling the cross of death. I'm battling this, Pastor. I know how to go to, I know, I know how to read my Bible and have devotion and I know how to witness and all, but I'm just not doing it. Why not? You're watching too much TV. Maybe you're watching the computer too much. Hey, you gotta cut some things out of your life. You know, and it's not easy, granted, but God gives us grace. He's called us to follow Him. God help us to be overcomers. Now, as we come to the third church, it's the church of Pergamos. I've already given you a little background. It's situated on a hill. Notice what the Lord says about the church of Pergamos. Chapter 2, and look at verse number 13. I know thy works, verse 13. And where thou dwellest, the word dwell is an interesting word, parakeo. It's a different word than dwell in the last part of that verse. The word dwell in the last part of the verse means a permanent resident. But the first word dwellest means a foreigner. Let me read it. Verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, that is a foreigner, even where Satan's seat is. The word seat there is the word thronos. It means throne. That's where I derive this right here, a throne for a stone. Satan's seat. Hold that thought and keep reading. And thou holdest fast my name. Verse 13. And hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. And then he says in verse 17, he that overcometh, the middle of the verse, look at the middle of the verse, him that overcometh what I give to eat of the hidden manna. And of course you can go back to the Old Testament and see that was the angel food that God prepared. Somehow the people of God miraculously, look what else he says, and I will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man saveth but he that saving that he that receiveth it. Exchange a throne for a stone. I want you to follow me right here. You ready? Look up here if you're ready. I want you to follow me, those listening. The devil's always wanted worship. I mentioned that uh, once before, uh, just a few days ago, and maybe even last week. I think I did. But in Exodus, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 28 and also Isaiah 14, we find the prototype of the Antichrist in Nimrod in Genesis chapter 10 and in Genesis chapter 11. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 is the fall of Lucifer, if you I can go ahead and finish the sentence. But anyway, all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's a progression of devil worship from Baals and Ashtoreths all the way up to here. I find this very interesting, Satan's seat. Why would Satan's seat be at a church? The church of Pergamos. This was a literal church. But the church evidently had compromised and had allowed ungodliness and Satan's seat. Now, to quick and fast forward, the church of Pergamos, evidently Satan will also take up residence, the Antichrist, 
in what we believe to be the uh, temple which will be rebuilt. In Daniel 9, 27, we derive that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And also in Revelation chapter 11 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Antichrist will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God to be worshipped. And that's where we're going with this. Then he'll set up his headquarters in Babylon only to be led by demonic forces into Jerusalem when Jesus comes again. So, trade in a throne for a stone. I've had the privilege of being a pastor now and serving the Lord over 30 years in ministry. And I'm still learning. I'm not where all to be either. But I've noticed this. A lot of people who tell you and talk the talk, there's hidden things in their life. And uh, people can deceive us. And we're seeing that today. Deception lies. Instead of really getting right with God. Instead of breaking free from demonic activity. Instead of being loose from strongholds of principalities and powers. Wrong thinking. Altering, mind-altering drugs. All kinds of ways we give ground to the enemy. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. And yet we can still sit in church. We can still play church. We can still sing the song. But deep down inside the enemy has got a little ground on us. But oh, thank God the Lord said, I'll give him a white stone in the and in the stone a new name written. What in the world is this white stone? Can I tell you what I think? My opinion, whatever it's worth, according to Bible scholars, uh, John Walvern and others, and I've leaned this way as well, a white stone was normally used in a court of law setting. A white stone was used to represent acquittal, not guilty. On the other hand, a black stone was used to recognize guilt. Jesus said to the church of, oh yes, Pergamos, I'll give him a white stone. Listen to me, beloved. I got to thinking about this and I started shouting. I was here all by myself. I, I have shouting spells all the time by myself. Whether you shout or not, praise the Lord. I, I don't know if you believe in it. I hope you do. I hope you praise the Lord. I hope uh, if you don't, the rocks will cry out. Amen. And uh, anyway, God's been good to us and let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. But look, can you imagine what it would be like in heaven? Standing before the eternal council of the Godhead in the throne room, the courtroom of heaven, you and I stand before a thrice holy God who cannot tolerate our sin for one iota of a minute. And the soul that sinneth shall surely die. All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. There's none righteous, no not one. Romans 3.10. Our righteousness is filthy rags before a holy God. Isaiah 64 and 7. Yes, whosoever keeps the whole law and offends it in one place is guilty of it all. I used to think God would weigh out my good over my bad. And if I did more good than bad, God would say, come on into heaven. How wrong I was. Oh, no, beloved. If you keep all these things, but we offend it, we stand condemned before God. But wait a minute. That's not all. Jesus Christ comes into the courtroom of heaven and says, Father, I love them. I was willing to be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And on the basis of my redeeming, cleansing, overcoming blood, I plead pardon. I plead mercy. I plead forgiveness. I plead acquittal, Father. 
And God the Father sees the blood of his son and he reaches back and gives a white stone to tell us no more guilty, no more condemnation, Romans 8 and 1. And thank God when he sets us free, we're free indeed. I want to bless the Lord today that God didn't give me or you what we deserve, but he gave us mercy and pardon. He gave us grace. We ought to shout. We ought to thank God. We ought to lift our hands. We ought to say, Lord, you've been good to me. We ought to say, Lord Jesus, I don't deserve it. Whatever you've done, I thank you that my life is saved by you. So, trade in a throne for a stone. Now we go to the fourth church. And it's none other than the church of Thyatira. Look at it quickly here. The church of Thyatira. Evidently, there was a woman in the church named Jezebel. Y'all look at me. Don't ever name your child Jezebel. My niece just had a baby just this past week, a little over a week ago, less than two pounds. Her name's Olivia. Had the privilege of residing over my niece's uh, wedding, and her and Jason had their first baby. Congratulations. Anyway, they named her Olivia. Jezebel. Who in the world is Jezebel? Look at chapter number two again. Look at this. He says, and among other things, the Nicolaitans and Balaam, I'll not have time to go into all of that. Nicolaitans, a sect, Balaam cursing Israel. You can read about that. But look here in verse number uh, 18. And how about skip down to verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Verse 20, because in chapter 2, verse 20, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Who was Jezebel? I don't know if there's a real lady in the church named Jezebel, but y'all listen. Anybody remember who Jezebel was in the Old Testament? I want to carry you back to the book of 1 Kings chapter 22. I want to also carry you to 2 Kings chapter 9. Let me quickly give you an overview of who Jezebel was. She was a wicked queen. This queen hatched a and plotted and conspired a plan out of hell. I can see her king named Ahab, the big pouting king sitting on his throne. What did he want? He wanted an innocent man's vineyard, a man named Naboth. I want Naboth's vineyard, said Ahab. I can hear that wicked queen uh, say, what, big boy, I'll get you anything you want. I want Ahab's vineyard. Don't cry, big boy, I'll get it for you. And there she goes, plotting and planning, killing an innocent man. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says God will not at all equip the wicked. Y'all didn't hear me. That's Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3. Today it might not seem like justice is being done, but I want to tell you one day we serve a just God. He will make things right. Right now, some of you are agitated, irritated, frustrated. You can't function in your life. Why? Because you're so mad about stuff going on. That's not right. There's not justice there. No, there might not be this side of heaven, but whatever man sows, that's what he also reaps. But wait a minute. They stole that man and had him murdered. Hear me, murdered. Naboth. God saw it. How many know that God sees everything? I need some help. God saw it, sent his man Elijah. Elijah showed up and said, Ahab, the thing you've done is wicked. And the dogs are going to lick up your blood. 
And he looked at Jezebel and said, the dogs are going to eat your flesh. Did he mean it? Did it happen? How many know what a man sows? That's what he reaps. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. How many know your sin will find you out? Yes, it will. Here it comes. God's payday someday, as R.G. Lee used to say. Three years passed by. Three years passed by. Ahab's out in battle. As it's been said, a nameless, aimless bowman was out there shooting an arrow in the war. Ahab was in his chariot. That arrow hit straight to a fatal organ in Ahab. He slumped in his chariot. Blood ran out of his body in the chariot. And the dogs came and licked his blood, just like the Word of God said. Fast forward about, think, 20 years. Second Kings chapter 9, I think it is. Jezebel, that wicked queen, in a window as Jehu's riding through and some eunuchs pushed her out the window. Down she fell and splattered on the ground as Jehu rolled over her. The only thing left of that wicked woman was her skull, her palms of her hand, and the wicked feet that treaded on an innocent man's vineyard. Payday Sunday, that's the background of Jezebel. Well, trade in a being under to being over. What I mean, look at chapter 2, verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 26. Skip back to verse 25. But to that which I've already hold fast till I come. He that overcomes, this is the church of five towers, same church now, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. What does that mean? Look at verse 27. He shall have rule. The word rule is poiman, where we get our word shepherd. He'll have rule over them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers even I received of my father? Question, what's he saying? Y'all listen now. This is glorious. There's not a lot in the Bible in regards to what role are we going to play in the millennial reign. How many of y'all believe that we're going to come back with Jesus in the millennial reign? Anybody? Thank you. One, two, three, four. All right, others who are not sure, I've got news for you. Revelation 19, John said, I saw the armies in heaven which followed him on white horses. In, in case you're wondering, the church is coming back with Jesus in the battle of Armageddon. We're not going to have to fight, praise the Lord. And then his millennial reign. What are we going to do? I know the millennial reign, the thousand years when Jesus rules and reigns, will be a time, watch this, to establish the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant, the land covenant with the Jews. However, we the church will participate some way and this is a message to the church, right? John's writing to who? I said John's writing to who? The church. This is Israel. God's got a plan for Israel. God's got a plan for his church. I dare say many of us have never studied this out know what we're talking about. What role will we play in the millennium? I don't know, to be honest with you. But somehow we'll have an administrative role in the millennial reign. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that. To be with our Lord. You say, Pastor, I've never heard this before. Well, it's time we get in our Bible. Amen? It's right here in the Bible. We just read. And we read uh, there that there'll be a role which you and I will play. All right. Instead of being under false teaching, we can be over administration of some sort in the millennial reign. Do you get that? Do you see that? Thank you. Well, I will say this kindly as I know how. 
If you're in a church right now, I never have said this publicly that I know of, or maybe I have, but just not in this way. If you're in a church right now, just to mainly the, anybody that's here and to those who are listening by way of uh, Facebook or YouTube, if you're in a church right now, listen, that's teaching false doctrine, that does not teach that Jesus Christ is Lord, that does not teach the Bible is the infallible and errant Word of God, that does not teach, if you're in a church right now, that does not teach the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and uh, the second coming of our Lord. If you're in a church that does not teach the fundamental doctrine of the faith, if I was you, I would pray and ask God to lead me to some church that believes the Bible. I need some help, New Rocky Creek. Amen. Amen. And so, there are some that are sitting under false teaching today. And some, I would not, hey, listen to me, y'all listen to me now. I would not have dreamed that some people who are spiritually minded get caught up in false doctrine. And they get hung up in false doctrine and, and it messes them up. I've seen it happen. It can happen to me, it can happen to you. So God help us. I don't have all the loaf. But notice, we'll exchange not only, not only from, uh, from the matter of uh, being under to over. Now listen quickly. We can do this, shade in our dead religion to living Christianity. And John says, I'm just going to read it right up here for the time's sake. I've got a, he said, I know thy works to the church of Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. A name that thou livest and thou art dead. There's a lot of churches today, there's meeting, but dead. No life, no Holy Spirit power, no conversions. Now there's many that are reading that are, are alive. I want to tell you what, God's not obligated to show up and bless a church if we don't get on His terms. And if we don't get our hearts right, get humble before God, and if uh, those listening as a Christian, if we think that God's going to bless our sin, He's not going to do it. He loves us. He's invested in us. Yes, He'll forgive us if we confess it, but often we don't. We want the cake and the icing too and think that we can serve God too. And it's not going to happen that way. Listen, he said, you're dead. There's dead works. You say, but I can do a lot of good things. The devil can do a lot of good things. It's not doing good things. The question is, is my heart clean before God? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Today, right now, there's something that need to stop and say, God, I've been deceived. God, I've been living a lie. Lord, I've been thinking that I can do my own thing. I need to change, Lord. Look what he said. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess him before my father and before his angels. Some say, aha, pastor, blot his name out of the book of life. That means you can lose your salvation. That's not what that means. I've had people to tell me that. No, God, this is not the Lamb's book of life per se. Some say this is the book of life as if God, there's several views. One is uh, every name is written in the book of life and those who Jesus died for. But if you don't put your faith and trust in him, then you will not go to heaven, Okay. Or it could be that uh, John's saying to the church of Sardis uh, that uh, there's some things in the church and uh, your, your name is really not in the book of life. It needs to be in the book of life. Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't teach you can lose your salvation. You know how I know that? Because you've got to read the whole Bible. Don't just take one verse and run with it. I need some help right there. I can finish up a lot quicker if y'all help me. Anyway, here's the thing. Rhea, bless the Lord. He was sealed by the Holy Spirit on the day of redemption. And we uh, have eternal life. God the Father, he sealed and signed his, I've given them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
because there might be some people listening. I thought I'd just share that just in case. Dead religion for live Christianity. Can you imagine how it's going to be to get to heaven and God say, I want to clothe you in the righteousness of my son. I'm going to tell you something. When we come to Jesus Christ, we are all as uh, filthy rags, as I just mentioned a moment ago. But yet God, the only way God can, can deal with any of us, any, any of us, is to take the righteousness of Jesus Christ and put his righteousness on us. The best illustration I've found of this, and I tell you this is shouting ground, is about a mama sheep and a baby ewe lamb. The mama sheep died that had a baby ewe lamb. And then the baby ewe lamb of another mama died. So you had a mama without a baby and a baby without a mama. This farmer said, I'll just get the mama without a baby and the baby without a mama, I'll get them together. Surely that mama will sick that baby. Farmer brought them together. Nothing doing. Mama smelled that little baby said, this is not my baby. She didn't say that, but that's what she was thinking. And then, you know, the farmer said, I know what I'll do. I'll take the wool off that little dead baby and wrap it around that live baby. Maybe the mama will smell it and accept that baby. That mama, that mama smelled the wool of her own precious little ewe lamb that had died. And yet it was, it was wrapped around that other ewe lamb. And that mama accepted. That mama received that ewe lamb. Why? Because it was clothed in her own little child's wool. I'm telling you this God the Father He sees us clothed in His righteousness He won't have anything to do with us Outside the righteousness of Jesus Christ I'm telling you praise the Lord For the righteousness of God That He pronounces righteous No more guilty Not because what I've done But because what Jesus has done We ought to say Thank you Lord Oh yes now he says this, we come out to come in, the church of uh, dead religion to living Christianity. Now we come out to come in. Quickly, I've got to share this with you. All right? Him that overcometh, will I give him a pillar to the temple of my God? Behold, I come quickly. He shall not go more out. I'll write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. This is in Revelation chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. I just read verse 12, okay? Now we're in the church of Philadelphia. Two churches that was no condemnation. One was what? Smyrna. The other one was who? Philadelphia. So, trade in our leaving for cleaving. Will you do it? You left your first love. Trade in our cross of death for the crown of life. The church of Smyrna. Will you do it? Trade in our... Watch, uh, yes, our being under for being over the church of Pergamos. Trade in our going out to come again. He says, you'll no more go out. That's why the Lord spoke to my heart, the church of Philadelphia. We don't have to be out, we can come in. Hey, have you ever thought about heaven, the new Jerusalem? You know how big heaven's going to be? You know what's going to be in heaven? we got a lot to look forward to. We're overcomers. Hey, listen, beloved. This week, Nancy Watson's sister passed away, Ruby, 84 years old. I talked with Nancy, prayed with her, and we rejoiced she was ready to meet God. Are you ready to meet God? I hope you are. If you're not, you can cry out to God today and make things right. The New Jerusalem. Watch this. The New Jerusalem. John describes this 
This is a website, in case you're wondering. The, John described this as a city that lies four square, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Describing this in Revelation 21, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven as a bride adorned for a husband. Do you know what? Ron Rhodes has calculated, and this is recorded in the book written by Randy Acorn called Heaven. Do you know how big heaven's going to be? Eight, I think it's eight million miles in circumference, 2,600 miles in diameter. He's calculated that if 20, I believe it's 20 million people uh, go to heaven, each person will have 75 acres of land. This is a massive place. No sin, no sickness, pardon-free, pain-free. Isn't that wonderful? And guess what else? Politically free. Somebody will say, man, from now to November, we're going to just be smashed with all the political stuff. Can I get a witness? God help us to be in the Word of God, not be agitated and irritated. That's what I'm praying. Last but not least, exchange being spit out for sitting down. Revelation 3. Are you all listening now? Please listen. Revelation chapter 3 and verses 15 uh, through um, uh, 4 through 22. Anyway, here's the, here's the text. That was a typo right there. Anyway, I know that works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you be cold or hot, but you're lukewarm. Chideros is the word for lukewarm. Neither cold nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is a message to the church. This is a message to, to people who sit in church. This is a message to us. Yes, it was historically, you can see that through the years, but also it's an individual message. He said, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot or cold. I'd sp- uh, sorry, that's graphic. Spit you out. That's the literal word for vomit. I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's gross, I know, but I had to say it to give you the graphic picture of what this is saying. I will spew you out of my mouth. Why? Because you're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. If any man hear my voice, open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. Him that overcometh what I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome and sat down on my father's throne. Instead of being spit out, you can sit down. I can sit down. You see that? Now, quickly, and I know my time's gone, but in Laodicea, when we went to the archaeological remains, I looked to my distance and I could see what looked like snow-capped mountains. Later, I came up to it a few miles away, and it was a calcified hard as a rock, mineral, hot mineral springs in a place called Heropolis. Hot, boiling hot. They would pump that aqueduct from Heropolis all the way to Laodicea. By the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot anymore. Oh, really? Wow, that now it's making sense. I could look to in the other direction. I could see the snow-capped mountains of Colossae. It was ice-cold water. And they would pump through an aqueduct that water all the way into Laodicea. But guess what? By the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't nice cold anymore. It was lukewarm, tepid. That is, uh, just lukewarm. Here's the message God's saying to me today. Are you red hot for God? Why have you cooled off? Have you gotten used to it? Are you going through the motions? What, what, what's the deal? I mean... I mean, once upon a time, you'd do anything for God. Stay up all night long, pray, go across the road, write a note, send a text message, concerned about lost people. Oh, yes, I know you love the Lord, many of you do, but it's easy to get lukewarm. And this culture of ours, 
And then ice cold, an ice cold drink on a hot summer day, man. Yesterday was warm. Today's supposed to be warmer. Man, you drink ice cold water, it refreshes you. Tap water. It's not quite as refreshing, although I, I still drink it. Anyway, the difference used to refresh people, but now when you're around them, you don't refresh them anymore. Why? Maybe you've left your first love. Maybe today God is saying to you, are you an overcomer? Are you being overcome? Will you trade in leaving your first love for cleaving to the great promise, a tree of life? Will you exchange a cross of death for a crown of life? It'll be worth it, I promise you. Will you exchange from being under to being over? Will you exchange from being out to coming in? Will you exchange dead religion for live Christianity? Will you exchange from being spit out to sitting down? Stand with me, would you, all over the house of God, those listening to You know what God has said to you today. I love you, and I promise I, I, I love you. I really mean that from my heart. But many of us need to be challenged. Many of us need to examine our heart before the Lord. Many of us need a change in our life. I can fool God. I mean, I can fool, excuse me, not God, but I can fool my wife or children, but I can't fool God. Where are you at right now? And I don't mean this negatively or critically. Please hear me. But the coronavirus has got so many people. We ought to be concerned, yes. But that doesn't mean we should be ineffective. Now, like never before, we need to be right with the Lord. And God's calling us right now. I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to be a help. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask now for searching our hearts. God, forgive me the ways I've had bad attitudes. Forgive me, Father, the ways I've been critical. And Lord, I believe others listening have been as well. Time like this, when we're seeing things going on and people pointing fingers and and God, we're just right in the middle of it. You know you called us for such a time as this. I pray you'll help us to rise above it. I pray you'll help us not to be know-it-alls and self-righteous, but God, be humble and full of faith, hope, and love, full of your Holy Spirit. We pray you'll reach out, God. I can't convict anybody, but your word, you said, and the Holy Spirit convicts of the world, right, sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Bring us into victory. Bring us into victory. And we ask this. We thank you for doing it about you and we'll look forward to seeing you Jesus one day and until then help us to be overcomers as you overcame in Jesus name Amen